Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Morning, guys. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, it's good to see you guys. Some of you I haven't seen in a long time. All right, I always feel like I have to uh, breathe and um, go into comedic relief because <laughs> I'm really nervous right now. Huh? I'll be funny. Now I can be funny because you told me to be funny. Well, good morning. Welcome to Vox. It's good to have you guys. It's good to be here. Um, I love being here. I love seeing you guys wait outside and get frustrated because it's already five minutes after. You're like, open up, let's start on time. We start at 10.05 on purpose, so I won't tell you guys anymore. But anyways, welcome. It's, gonna, it's good to be here. Hey, uh, if you're new here, if it's your first time, I want you to uh, feel welcome. Um, you're not we ask, you're not forced to do anything that you don't want to do. So if you want to sit the whole time, sit the whole time. Uh, we're going to do some music. We're going to hear um, somebody bring uh, some thoughts from, from Scripture. And then we're going to participate in communion, which is where uh, we come together and we partake. Um, and we, as a family, open the table and we take the bread and the wine. And, and you're welcome. Or you can sit and, and, and just watch. But uh, this is a safe place. We want to create a safe place for you to come and ask questions and um, just receive. And that's kind of what we're hoping for you this morning. But um, we also do these things called table fellowships. And those are the cool things because we have a corporate table on Sunday. And then uh, once a month, we op- uh, people from Vox open up their homes. And what we want to see happen is people coming around the table, having conversation. It's not a Bible study. We don't study scripture. We study each other. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> no, it's just a time for us to gather and to communicate and to break bread and just to get to know people. And I want to introduce you guys to the birds. Um, yes, their last name is Birds. That's, that's fun, right? Um, this is Jessica and this is Jason. They're going to come out. And they um, have been with us for a while. Um, and they uh, said yes to the opportunity of opening up their homes, their home, as if you guys have many, <laughs> their home. Uh, to just hang out, and I have the privilege of attending uh, their home and, and getting to know people, but say hello to the birds this morning. Yeah. Yes, yes. Side note, um, what's really cool is they actually have a salon called The Painted Nest, right? Anything to do with your last name? A little. A little, yeah. <laughs> they have a daughter named Para. Eat. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, just, I love your last name. You know, as a Mexican guy, we grew up with birds, so I have a I have a love for birds. You know, and I love your last name. We're gonna stop there and ask you a few questions. You guys, um, you guys have been hosting a table fellowship for a while now since since September. Um, why did you guys choose to say yes to this idea of us opening a table for our community? Um, I think we were super excited to be asked because we, if you know us at all, we love food. And then food with company is even better. Um, yeah, their food is legit, you guys. <laughs> it really is. I don't cook, but I love food. So <laughs> it was perfect. So the opportunity just to, to host, right? Yeah, we just love, we love hanging out. And if we have to bribe people with food, it's fine. Yeah. Um, 
what do you guys see as importance with this? Like, why is this important to do? Um, I think for us in particular, it's a good way to connect with people on Sunday mornings, especially like Jessica will volunteer and I'll be volunteering. Um, so it's nice to kind of take a break from the Sunday morning, you know, kind of rigor. And then too, it's a, it's a different dynamic being eating and joining each other's company, having time for conversation, a place to do that, a place to get together and, and get to know people a little more intimately. Um, so it's been a huge step in the right direction just to get to know the people in the church um, for us. And that's, I think, uh, been the biggest thing, the most impactful thing, I think, for us. And it's always different people, you know. We got the people that are consistent. Every once in a while, we get some new people. Um, and the more, the merrier. So, uh, so we're always happy to, to just have people and host people and love on people and feed people. What do you guys hope uh, people walk away with when they leave your home? Um, I think when we're hosting, I just want people to be comfortable, make it super easy, um, come enjoy food, have different conversation, whether it's light, heavy, whatever it is, whatever you're feeling, and just meet new people, have new relationships, and really make it easy. Yeah. Yeah, simple. And what do you guys, what have you guys learned from this? Gosh. I don't think that question was on your uh, email you sent last night. Um, I think um, my biggest takeaway from this is kind of the evolution of like the church in general. We have the Sunday mornings and then it kind of evolves into what this has kind of become is like the next step in in kind of a church body coming together. Um, I love that it's centered around conversation. Um, I mean, Jess and I love that it's centered around like a meal, you know, so there's there's not pressure to constantly be on, you know what I mean? We're, we're enjoying a meal, we're talking a little bit, we're kind of moving around, you got different opportunities to talk to different people. Um, and I think for us, that's been the, the nicest thing is just taking that next step and then seeing what this turns into, yeah. whether it continues to grow, whether it changes a little, whether it becomes more of a community thing where, you know, we're a bigger group doing something. Um, so it's kind of exciting to be a part of like that, the next step after Sunday morning. Um, yeah. And you guys are doing a great job. I love, I love hanging with you guys. Um, I love eating your food. Um, and I love getting to know different people that I don't see um, on Sundays because typically I'm back in the background and getting to know and hear people's stories and connecting and um, just allowing that time to be a, a sweet time of just um, hearing people's stories um, has been really a blessing. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people who attend your home or attend the other fellowships that, that me, I think that's the same, um, the same story that I hear. It's just a great time to get to know and to, and to relax and, and to, um, to hear stories of other people in process. And mm -hmm. our hope with these table fellowships is not only that we would meet as a corporate table here on Sunday, that we, we would attend these table fellowships and get to know people, but also that your heart would be transformed to where you open up your, your home as a personal table for the, fear, the spheres of influence that you know. Whether that be in your home, whether that be at work, wherever it would be that your your heart would open up for people to hear their stories and that through that people would feel um, your hospitality and your kindness and your grace. So that's the hope. So if, if you want to be part of one of these, you can go online. We have uh, different homes that you can sign up on. We're adding more homes so that we have more opportunity for people to connect with. Um, but really that's our heart is that you would feel safe, that you would get to know other people and that through that you would feel the same um, um, compassion towards others in your personal life by extending your personal table. So let's give the birds a hand. Thank you guys for what you guys do. We appreciate you guys, and I hope you guys have a good morning.
Um, Izzy's gonna bring us some music, and if you wanna join in, join in. If not, it's okay. Have a great morning. All right, good morning, boss. It's good to see you. Can we thank Izzy and the team for leading us this morning? All right, some of you are wondering who I am. So I normally sit behind the drums and uh, play. I'm not as good looking as Mike, and I'm definitely not as funny as Carrie, um, but they asked me to teach anyway. So my name is Will. Uh, My wife and I have been a part of this community actually since it started. Uh, One night, I got a a call from a friend who was on the, the launch team here. And he said, hey, they need a drummer for the first service. Would you be interested? And so I said, sure. So we came, we loved it, and we've been here ever since. Uh, So that's how we we landed here. And um, I'm excited uh, to share with you guys this morning. I teach high school. That's what I do. And uh, the best way I know how to describe my job is relational overload. Because it doesn't matter if you're in ninth grade or you're 92, uh, human beings are messy. And so I have 120 students who come into my class every day, and really what my job is is caring for them, keeping up with them, and on a good day, it's exhausting, and some days it just feels really impossible. And this week I walked into my classroom, and I found this note on my desk, and this just kind of encapsulate some of the things that I get asked or the things that we talk about in class, but the note says, Dear Mr. Anderson, why is there sin? Why do we want to sin in the first place? Why did God give us the choice to follow him? Since God loves us so much, why would he send us to hell to suffer if we didn't follow Jesus? Why would God give up his only son for us if we hurt him by sinning so much? Why is it so hard for me to understand God? Why doesn't God live on earth with us? Why does God let us sin if he is all-powerful and can make us stop? And then highlighted in yellow, it says, Mr. Anderson, I am really confused. Please answer these. So I sent a quick email and I answered all her questions. I'm just kidding. Of course not. Um, I think this note is profound And at Vox, we get this. It's profound because what it expresses is the fact that we have a lot of questions about God and about our world. And a lot of times we feel at a loss to know how to answer them. And that's something we're open about in this community, and that's something that we celebrate. And Carrie did just a phenomenal job last week talking about the fact that we're all on a journey, but, but that's difficult because we live in a destination culture. We celebrate being put together. We celebrate having the answers. We even proclaim our togetherness uh, in social media and presenting the happy, polished parts of our lives. And yet, there's a lot about life that we just don't get, and that's hard. And so this note for me encapsulates a lot of that. And You know, we've started having conversations about some of these questions, but to be honest, I just feel really inadequate a lot of the time with these 120 other humans walking through life. And yes, they're in high school. Yes, they have a lot to learn, but how much do I have to learn? And I feel that tension all the time. And I love this book because it's full of messy journeys. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find one that wasn't messy. 
And last week it was Abraham. This week I want to point us to a man named Asaph. And some of you are probably wondering who that is. He actually only gets a couple shout outs in Chronicles, which I know we read frequently. Not really. Um, And actually, because I'm a drummer, I just wanted to start uh, with this first slide. Go for it because I thought this was awesome. This is one of the few things mentioned. Asaph was the chief. He was a music director under King David. Next to him in rank were Zechariah. Not going to read all those names. Go to the last sentence. They were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) And my mind starts wondering, like, was it a ride cymbal, a crash cymbal, some kind of a big gong? Anyways, we don't know. Uh, But this is Asaph, and... uh, he asks some of the hardest questions. And so my goal is, is to look at what he was thinking through. Um, I'm not going to be able to relieve all the tension. I'm not going to be able to get nice, clean definitions of everything. But his story, it, it, we're never told it in story form. We get a glimpse of his life through a couple psalms that he wrote. And so we're going to look at Psalm 73. Here's the first three verses. <coughs> Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so here we have a worship leader who's confronted with the fact that he doesn't get a lot about life and about how God can be good and yet there's still so much evil. About a month ago, Tim taught on this same topic, but today we're looking at it through Asaph's eyes specifically, and his question is, why is so much evil flourishing in the world, and why isn't God doing anything to stop it? If God is in control and if he's powerful, then why do I see so much unrest and destruction and pain? And we get this. We just came out of 2017, And so many things have happened. It's hard to even keep track. Shootings alone, Vegas, Orlando, a church in Texas. Our state has been just consumed with fires. People have lost their lives. Most recently uh, in the mudslides, just tragedy after tragedy. Um, Sex trafficking is still a thriving industry. It seems like every week, when you check your, your feed or however you get your news, it seems like there's a new pastor or a, a church leader that's coming out and saying, yeah, I cheated on my spouse or I stole money or some kind of moral failure. And the world kind of lurches in response and asks, okay, so is this what Christians are about? Now, this is all really big and overwhelming. Just think about this past week. How did evil confront you in this past week? Think about your days at work, at home, whatever it was you were doing. This is something that we feel, and Asaph felt it as well. Um, He's looking at the world, at the dishonest gains, the shady business practices, the ways that humans objectify and manipulate each other, and it's made him really cynical. And there just comes a point where theological arguments don't cut it anymore and religious cliches don't satisfy. And that's exactly where Asaph is. And we're going to read more of his thoughts in a second. Um, 
I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, the poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. It's the mathematician who seeks to get the heavens into his head. And it is his head that splits. In other words, the poet just wants to catch a glimpse of God and he believes that that would be enough. If he could just be in God's presence, that would satisfy. But the mathematician, he wants to define God. He wants to get uh, God in a perfect little box. He wants to create a formula. And Chesterton says, that's ridiculous. You can't do it. And the church, I would say, often tries to do just that. We try to put God in this box and define him in a way that feels safe. But here at Vox, we want to be the poet. We want to just catch a glimpse of him because if he is real and if he is powerful, then simply being with him means everything. Um, But it's not easy. And so at Vox, we're safe to talk about anything. So let's just put it out there at the very beginning, Kay, that... It's not that we're answerless and we have no answers, but it's that we're limited and we're finite. And we have to be okay with that much of the time. That's what it means to be human. And so uh, he says, Asaph in verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Um, And when we look at the pain of our world, there's two ways we often respond. The first is to become cynical and hardened, that there's no hope, that even if God is real, that he doesn't have the power to actually help us. Um, The other is to be naive. It's to hide from the world, um, to convince ourselves things aren't actually that bad. And so we hide in the Christian subculture so that we never have to look at anything that's ugly in our world. And Asaph, he addresses both of these extremes. For him, though, he finds his heart cynical. So he goes on this rant about all the the wickedness he sees in the world. And so let's look at what he says. Next slide. He says, the wicked have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Wow, whoever's flipping slides, you are amazing. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And then here's kind of the the pit that he bottoms out in. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. And I think we know what this feels like. Is integrity even worth it? Where does faith get me? How, has, how have my efforts to follow God and to love him changed anything in the world? Because it just seems like it's spinning on and on and things are continuing or getting worse. That's pretty dark for a worship leader, right? That's pretty honest. And for him, he falls into this type of uh, cynicism. 
On one hand, he's refused to be naive, okay? He's woke to the injustice and the pain of the world, um, but he doesn't know what to do with it. Um, Despair and bitterness have crept into his heart. And so I want to ask you, which way do you lean? Are you more tempted to get angry at life or to hide from it? To become cynical or to deny the harshness and the reality of what's out there. And maybe you fluctuate between the two. I don't think anyone navigated this tension better than Jesus himself when he walked this earth. If anyone had a reason to be cynical based on life experience, Jesus could have. If anyone had the power to separate himself and to hide from danger, to put a buffer of protection between him and the world, it was Jesus. And yet, he says something profound that I want to show you guys. In Matthew 10, now let me give you a quick uh, intro to this. He's about to send out his disciples into some pretty hostile circumstances where they're going to be um, abused, made fun of. And so he's, he's basically getting them ready for this. And he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Okay, some of you are thinking, what in the world does that mean? Um, This is really profound because the first thing is Jesus acknowledges that pain is real. He says there are wolves in the world. That just by breathing, just by being alive, you're going to get torn up and you're going to get bruised. That's part of this existence. But he says, he gives us this little almost proverb where he says, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. On one hand, he says, be shrewd, be cunning, be aware, be alert. Basically, don't be stupid. Don't open yourself to all this pain and hurt because you weren't expecting there to be any. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be naive. It doesn't mean we just allow people to crush us walk over us, and he says, don't be naive, be as shrewd as snakes, but then he says, be as innocent as doves. In other words, don't allow the pain and the injustice in the world to harden your heart to the point that you want nothing to do with me. And that balance is everything. And I think we all want that, but how do we get it? Just being as honest as possible, it doesn't come from just trying, right? We just came through uh, into a new year, and so New Year's resolutions are all over the place. Okay, my New Year's resolution is not to be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove, mostly because people would think I was crazy if I told them that. They're like, what are you talking about? But we've looked at Asaph's cynicism, and I think he finds the middle road that Jesus is pointing us to between being naive and being cynical. And so I want to show you the moment that Asaph has and talk about it. Okay, so next slide. Again, he says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until, okay, don't miss that, that little word. This is a turning point for him. And all his questions aren't answered completely, But something big happens here until I entered the sanctuary of God. And you might be asking, okay, so his answer is walking into a building? I don't understand that. 
What's he talking about? He enters the sanctuary, and what does he find? Asaph discovers God's presence, and he's reminded that God is with him. Um, I think there's a time and a place for putting words to our answers to life's big questions, but there's a lot of times when our words simply run dry and when we don't have a good explanation and in those moments, the only thing that sustains is the fact that God is with us. God's greatest answer to our problems, our disillusionments, our failures has always been his presence. You can summarize the whole scriptures by saying this, that the story is God wants to be with us. It started in the garden where God walked with Adam and Eve. That plan went a little bit south. And so from there, uh, Moses was asked to build this tent in the wilderness. That sounds strange to us, but the whole point was that God could be close in proximity and with his people. Same thing with the temple built in Jerusalem. The whole vision behind that structure was so that people could approach and be with God. And then in the Gospels, we we find out God's... um, ultimate plan to be near us, that he would become a human and that he would breathe our air, walk in our dirt and become a human being in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So God's desire all along has been to be present with his people. And if Asaph's doubts were addressed in an ancient temple, then how much more resources do we have in Jesus? The more time you spend with him, the more you sit at his feet and listen to his words, you're gonna start to notice things that maybe you didn't before. And this isn't about complete resolution, this is about acknowledging we're not alone. And so the first thing that Asaph recognizes is justice, because we wanna know, does God care about what's happening in the world? Does he see it? And so look at what he notices after he enters the sanctuary. He says, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by tears. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. The first thing that Asaph realizes when he senses God is with him is he realizes that God is working against the evil in this world and that he is going to make it right, but that it's in his timing and in his way. And that's really frustrating because there are so many moments where we ask, God, why? Why not now? Do you see what's happening? Do you see that this cycle keeps continuing and continuing? When will there be justice When will you step in and defend those that need it? Because all I see right now is the pain and this endless cycle of of hurt. And what Asaph discovers is that all of that pain does not go missed on God. But it's hard for us because the timing of it doesn't make sense. And so what do we do with that? Again, I think we look to Jesus, and he, he offers us some, some help. Um, we talk a lot here at Vox about the fact 
that Jesus saved his harshest criticism not for those outside the church, but for who? Those inside of it. That Jesus wasn't critiquing those worshiping at other temples. He wasn't uh, going and preaching and yelling at the prostitutes, but what he was doing is critiquing the church. And if he was, was here today, that he would probably be doing the same thing. And so I wanna, I wanna point you guys to Matthew 23, which if you have never looked at this chapter, Jesus just unloads on the Pharisees. He just lets them have it. And uh, I wanna show you just one thing he says. So he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wow. But here's, here's the point. In the same exact chapter, alongside probably what are Jesus' most intense, harshest critiques for the church, he says this with incredible compassion. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus' desire to rid the world of evil is never separate from his compassion to save those who contribute to evil. That's good. And what Asaph realizes is that Evil isn't just something out there. It's not just something external. But even as a worship leader, even as part of God's family, he has contributed to the darkness that is in this place. And God's decision to wait, God's decision to let some things work out in his timing is actually the only reason he's still breathing. Because God had that grace and that patience with him. And so what he realizes is that he is part of the problem. And listen to what he says. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And he realizes that how many times have I been the liar, the cheater, the luster? How many times has that been me? And he sees God's compassionate justice at work. And so I would say to us, Vox, that God's patience with us naturally leads us to have patience with the rest of the world. That he desperately wants to save more. That more have yet to experience his presence. And God is doing everything that he can to bring them into his family and into his kingdom. Asaph discovers another thing. As he starts to feel his cynicism melt away just a little bit, he realizes that not only does God's presence bring compassionate justice, but it also brings empathy. Um, I don't know what the hardest things you've gone through are. I know for some of you. But when you're going through something hard, do you want answers or do you want someone to be with you? Yeah, there's something so powerful about being in a hospital waiting room or wherever you're at, and someone comes and just sits next to you. They don't even have to say a thing. 
especially when that person has gone through the same or a similar thing that you have and you know that they get it, um, rather than, you see this all the time at, at funerals, especially where people just start spouting cliches because they don't know what to say. They're pulling from a place of, of ignorance and they're trying to make you feel better and I've done this so many times where I've just said things that aren't helpful at all. But when you have someone who you know has walked through a lot of the same things that you have and they just are sitting next to you, sometimes it's just a look that they give you and you know that you're understood. Sometimes more than a well-articulated answer, that's what we need. We need someone's presence with us. And when Jesus became human, he didn't just have knowledge of pain but he decided to experience it himself. He wasn't just aware of suffering, but he chose to enter into it himself. In Asaph, you know, we have this incredible privilege of knowing that Jesus has come. Um, This is what um, Asaph realizes when he's in the temple. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. But in Jesus, we know that he's experienced the full spectrum of human pain and loss. And so um, Hebrews 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We don't have all the answers for the things that life throws at us, but... Jesus' scars predate ours. And he knows what it's like to be hungry, lonely, betrayed, beaten, mocked. In every way, he's walked through life and he knows what it's like in our shoes. And being in his presence is a reminder of that, that we are not alone and we are understood Asaph ends the psalm with this verse. He says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. When we hear God is good, that often sounds like a cliche for us. If you look at this psalm, he says God's good in the first verse and in the last verse. It's kind of these two bookends. But here he says it after having gone through his cynicism after having been confronted with the harsh realities of life. And he's able to say it now, not in a naive way, but it's been tested through fire. And he realizes that God is with him and that God is good. And then he says this, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. Vox, when we come face to face with evil, and we don't have the answers. God wants to be our shelter. He wants to be your refuge. And that doesn't mean after you've answered every question, and that doesn't mean whether or not you can give a theological explanation. It just means sometimes you need to get out of the rain, out of the storm, and you need a place to rest, and you need a place of shelter. And that 
is what Asaph is describing, and that is what Jesus ultimately offers us. At the end of this psalm, he doesn't have an answer for every question. He doesn't have the game plan for what God is up to in every situation. But he's found a refuge, and he's found a shelter. And there's a lot in this world that can hurt you and me. The gospel says, while many things can hurt you, nothing can destroy you. That there is a shelter being offered to you in Jesus. The Savior who looked over a city who rejected him and said, I long to take you under my wing and to hold you close and to have relationship with you. And that's what Jesus offers us. So can we trust him even when there's still mystery, even when there's still tension, even when there might not be a resolution? You know, I'm starting to have conversations with the student who wrote this note. And we are talking through some answers that I found helpful, but I think the most helpful thing that I could possibly uh, talk through or give to her is this, is to remind her that Jesus is beautiful. And that even when she can't explain something fully, or even when life feels very overwhelming to the point where she doesn't know if she can balance it all, handle it all, process it all, to look at Jesus and to seek refuge in him. And whether you're cynical or more prone to be naive or somewhere in between, we need shelter. (coughs) Cynicism is this endless cycle that will drive you into the ground. And sometimes we just need a break and we need rest. And Jesus offers that to you and to me. For those who feel like they have to hide from the world, there's a lot of fear involved at looking at the full reality of what this world is and how it operates. We're terrified. Jesus is that refuge for you as well. To feel his power, to feel his comfort behind you and with you, maybe that's what you need this morning. Um, But wherever you land... I invite us to take refuge in him. And Asaph had a temple. We have a table. And this table is our refuge. This is the place where we can bring our cynicism, where we can bring our denial. Maybe you're dealing with something completely different than what Asaph shared and what we've been talking about. Um, But Vox, we have an opportunity uh, to make Jesus our refuge. And he invites us full of questions, full of tension. And he says to us, I will meet you here. That's it. It looks like me sheltering you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to contrive anything. Um, You don't have to explain it fully. But if you will trust me to be your refuge, I will be. And so that's what we're going to do. I invite you to come as as you want. 
Um, and as you're ready, um, we have gluten-free, as always, right over there. And you guys know where the stations are. Um, but I'm going to pray for us, and I invite you to come to Jesus, our refuge. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you for this community. God, a place where questions are okay. Where not having it together can be okay. God, there's no greater training in how to humbly but honestly face pain than to walk with you. God, because you've walked before us and you know what it's like. And God, we want soft hearts Lord, for those who feel hardened, who feel like they don't even know how to reach out to you, would they come to the table, God? Would they realize that they don't have to have um, every explanation? Or just the strength that it takes to go to your table? Um, would you bless them, God? Would you help them take that step to walk into your sanctuary, to your table, where you welcome them? God, I pray that there would be no fear for those who have trouble admitting the intensity of evil in this world. Um, God, you stared it right in the face and you took the penalty for it. God, you are our ultimate buffer and safety. You are our refuge. So Lord, wherever our hearts are, we ask that you would meet with us. We love you. And we come to uh, the table united in you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, Vox. Um, thank you again for uh, letting me share with you guys. Yeah. And a lot. Thanks. Um, in a lot of ways, what we do here is strange. Um, because we just looked at a song written thousands of years ago uh, by a guy we've never met. But... The beauty of that is he has experienced and gone before us, and he's asked questions that he didn't have um, every answer to. And so we have that in common. We're, we're a part of um, a family that is, goes all the way back uh, to Asaph and beyond. Um, but what we do know is that we have a refuge. And so I would love to uh, just pray this over us. And I know that we do this every week. Uh, but as I read this, um, would you hear it in light of the fact that Jesus is your shelter and your refuge? So here we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You guys have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.